The following is a presentation of WYM, Westminster Youth Ministry. In the book of Revelation, John is given a message to be delivered to the seven churches. Jesus aims to build up and encourage the believers that are faithful and suffering. But he also seeks to call the unfaithful back to him in repentance. In this series called Dear Church, we are going to look at these seven letters to the seven churches and glean from both Christ's encouragement and also see where we need to be challenged. We hope you enjoy. ask you this question who here has actually read the book of revelation raise your hand all right okay a few a few who here understands the book of revelation <laughs> austin's like ah, ah. <laughs> okay so what we're going to do is we're going to spend just a little bit of time looking at the first three chapters so there's seven churches that jesus is going to address and he has some really, really encouraging things to say to the church. And then he has some really, really challenging things to say to the church. And I think right now we all need encouragement because we're all kind of down. But I also think we need some good challenge because I think we're all in this funk. And it's good to be encouraged, but it's also good to be challenged. And we're going to see Jesus say some really, really nice encouraging things to some of these churches. And he's going to give them a good kick as well to kind of wake them up and help them to see that they need to focus on the things that they need to focus on. I think it's a good reminder for us as well. We're going to start tonight just by looking at the first chapter. Let me ask Emma if you could go ahead and pray for us. Then we will go ahead and get started here. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the opportunity for us to gather tonight and just look at the book of Revelation. Lord, as we just look at your word, I know that this book can be so confusing to read and it'd be so hard to figure out what it's saying. Um, and I just pray you would speak through tree and just help us to see how we can apply um, the things you're saying to these churches to our present situation and how it can be both a comfort to us and can challenge us in the midst of this time. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and I thank you for this opportunity for us to meet and discuss this tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Abraham Lincoln, former president of the United States, he had this thing that he used to do where anytime someone who was either like an opponent or never really had anything nice to say to him, they would write him letters, and he would usually have to respond to them. And he had this general practice that whenever he had to do that, he would write two letters. And the first one, he would spend the entire letter deliberately insulting them and making fun of them and saying very not nice things to them. And the reason he did this is so he would get it out of his system so that when he actually wrote a letter to them, he could be a little bit kinder and nicer. So he would he would write that first one deliberately insulting them. And then having gotten that out of his system, he would tear it up and he would write a second letter, usually a little bit more discreet, a little bit more tactful. And this takes a pretty serious skill, okay, because I think most of us, we respond pretty quickly to people that they critique us or, or they're not very gracious with us. And But it, it takes a great skill to be able to give caution and critique while still being charitable. And thank God that he deals with us in that way, that God doesn't always just come down really, really harshly on us, or he, he doesn't always just you know try to butter us up and, and make us feel good and happy about ourselves. 
he knows how to challenge us where we need to be challenged, and he knows how to encourage us in ways that we need to be encouraged. Because we need to have both of those in our life. We need both of those. And we as humans are so prone to making a mess out of things that it'd be so easy for God to just lay into us whenever we, we failed or lay into us whenever we made a mistake. But Jesus has walked on this earth. He knows the struggles that we go through. He knows the things that we struggle with. And he always wants to draw us closer to him. Now, sometimes we're ready and willing to hear that, right? But sometimes we're not. Sometimes we need that little kick behind us. We need some extra challenge. And what we're going to see in these letters here, we're going to see clearly that some of these churches are ready to hear it. And some of these churches are willing. And then there's going to be some that it's going to be a harsh thing that God has to save them. And it's going to be up to them to follow and listen. I want us to see the encouragement that God gives first and foremost to these churches. And I want us to glean from that because God is always looking to draw us closer to himself and encourage us in our walks and our faith. But we also need to pay attention to the things that they struggle with. And the reason so is because we can struggle with the same things because we tend to fall into the same types of patterns. So just a quick quote that I think is kind of funny. This guy named Jack Miller, uh, he once said, cheer up. You're just as bad as you think you are. (laughs) Just as we start this series, it's a good reminder that we are all in need of God's grace, and we're all in need of him working in us. God always has something to say to his church because he loves them. He's always got something to say to us because he loves us. So let's let's think about Revelation here. Here at the beginning in chapter 1, we're going to see the purpose of this book. And I think it's good for us to have at least a general understanding of the way that Revelation functions. And I hope this is helpful for you because once you understand just a couple things about the book, it's going to make a lot more sense and it's going to be hopefully a lot more fun to read and a lot less scary to read because it can get pretty difficult to read. So who here, when I even mention the word Revelation, you're just instantly confused and you're like, why are we talking about this? And You know, what the heck is going on? There's like dragons and trumpets and seals and all these crazy things. Okay. Everybody's just like shaking their head. Yeah. So it can be very confusing, especially if we don't understand a few things first. And here's the things that I want to at least help you with tonight. Okay. When you hear the words, the last days, what is your first reaction? Or what do you think about when you hear the words, the last days? So let me take a stab at it. Apocalypse. Okay, an apocalypse. Okay. Gideon? The first thing that jumps to my, into my mind is the stuff that uh, Revelations talks about, which is when Christ comes back, the second coming, and all the various weird stuff that happens in there. But what it should have me think of is the time right now between Christ's first coming and his second coming. Uh, yeah, so Gideon hit it right on the head. The way that we understand the last days is that it, it's the time between when Christ ascended in the beginning of the book of Acts to the time that he's going to come again at his second coming to usher in the, the new kingdom. And the reason why we view it that way, well, there's, there's a couple reasons. So go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 24 if you have a Bible, because uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 to 3. But the reason that we view these as the last days is because there's going to be a couple things that Jesus is going to talk about in this passage that are actually going to happen. 
And they're going to happen not too far after when he says these things. So if we read the book of Revelation and we take it so literally and we talk about, you know, this millennium thing and this thousand years and how if that's the last days, then we can get really confused and bogged down in it. Most people think the last days are things that are going to happen right before Jesus comes back or like right after he comes back, depending on how they view the second coming. But Jesus speaks of them very differently. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. And if I could get a volunteer to read that for us. Emma, would you mind reading that for us? Yeah, totally. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? Okay, so they say, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They essentially want to know what's going to happen in these last days. They want to know what's going to happen at the end of the times. And Jesus goes on, and we're not going to read all of chapter 24 because it's really long. But he goes on to tell them all the things that are to come, and some of those things are going to happen in their lifetimes for some of the disciples. And here's where we can get into trouble, because if we try to to place a limit on the last days, if we try to, like, uh, focus it in on just a specific, you know, narrowed-down time period of being right before when Jesus comes back, people are so fascinated with the idea of the millennium in the book of Revelation that it really takes the focus off of what's actually happening. So when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he has something different in mind. So What we believe as a church and how we're going to understand Revelation is that the last days, again, refers to the time when he went up and to the time where he's going to come back down for his return. And that's why some of these things like the destruction of the temple that happened in the year 70, not too long after Jesus said this, they're going to happen before Jesus comes back. And, you know, if if many of the things that Jesus spoke of were to happen in that literal thousand year millennium that people are so fascinated with in Revelation, then Jesus missed the memo, okay? He obviously forgot to come back early enough. So we have to understand Revelation in this way, or else it's just not going to be super helpful for us. So the last days is always going to be referring to the time in between his ascension and his his return. And speaking of that, Revelation is going to be full of a lot of vivid imagery and symbolism. And we have to have at least a basic understanding of why John uses language like this. But we also need to realize that we can get so bogged down in symbolism and pictures that we can lose sight of what is actually being talked about, too. What I want you to know is there's certain numbers in Revelation that carry an essential role. And one of those numbers is the number seven. And we're going to focus a lot of that, especially as we look at these seven churches. And lastly, why do you think Revelation is so hard to understand as you read it straight through? Like, What are some of the things that are confusing to you? Sometimes it's hard to see, like, what all the symbolism in it is really pointing to. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems like there's all these crazy events that are happening, like, right after each other, and it's just really, really hard to understand. So before we get into Chapter 1, last thing I want you all to just think about, and hopefully, again, this will be really helpful for you to just better understand how to read it. If you read the book chronologically, okay, if you read it, From front to back, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through the end of chapter 21, it's probably not going to make a whole lot of sense because it's not happening chronologically. It's not a chronological book. The way that we view Revelation as a Reformed church and with Reformed theology, this is our understanding of how we read it. So there's a big word. I'm going to throw the big word out there, and then I'm going to 
give you a better way to understand it. It's a word called recapitulation. And uh, let's see if Christopher remembers what that is. Christopher, what's recapitulation? Recapitulation is the same telling of the same story in different ways. So in Revelation, we have the recapitulation, I guess, of Jesus' return. I believe it's actually, is it seven times the story is told, retold? And seven, it's seven different sections. In different ways. Different yeah. imagery. Yeah, so the telling of the same event from different angles. So, like, if you look at, in, I think it's chapter five or six, the seven seals, that's telling of Jesus coming back, but it's telling it from the perspective of believers. And then when you get into the seven trumpets, it's telling the same exact thing, but the focus shifts to the eyes of an unbeliever. They're seeing it from their perspective. And then we're going to just see it from all these different perspectives. We're going to get a, a better glimpse as to what Jesus coming back is going to look like seven different times. And it's a really, really cool way to look at it because we get more and more information. We get more and more of a picture to put it all together. So again, recapitulation, telling the same event from different angles. And if we view it that way, we see the same story woven throughout. It's going to help us better understand those seven major sections. So that being said, Revelation chapter one, let's turn there. I'm going to read the first three verses for us and just kind of tee up what John has to say to us. So in Revelation 1, verses 1 to 3, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Even to all that he saw, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So, again, when John is speaking here of things to come and we see that as things are playing out over history and before God shows John all these things, he has this message that he wants to share to seven specific churches. Okay, And why he chose these seven geographically, they're all fairly close to each other. They're all pretty much on the same trade route. So it's very likely that as one letter went to the first church, it was going to continue. So the next one will be delivered to the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. But even though these were addressed to specific churches, there's something that he's going to have to say to us all. And there's a message to the whole church as well. So and let's continue in chapter 1. Would somebody like to read verses 4 to 8 of chapter 1 for me? I will. Thanks, Caleb. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Thank you, Caleb. So he has a message for these seven towns. If you look at the map of Europe, this is what's on Asia Minor or what we would know as modern-day Turkey. So all seven of these churches are on, on that little part. And John knows that each of these churches, and Jesus knows that each of these churches have various strengths, but he knows that all of them have various struggles as well. But John wants them to know exactly who's sending this message. So we see here, he says, 
We see this message coming from the one who is and who was and who is to come. So this is God the Father. This is coming right out of Exodus 3.14 when Moses asks God's name. and He says, I am that I am. Meaning, he doesn't depend on anybody. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. This is God who's bringing the message. But we also see Jesus who's coming again in glory and judgment. And we also see these seven spirits, okay? Again, judging by the fact that they're placed alongside the Father and the Son here. It's an unusual way to designate the Holy Spirit, but we see the Holy Spirit here as well. So taking all this into consideration, this message that's about to come to the churches, it's a big deal because God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is bringing them. And it's just as important for us to listen to these letters as they're going to speak to us in many ways And again, we're not going to read the rest of the chapter uh, just for the sake of time. But John's going to go on in chapter one to describe the rest of this vision that contains all that he was to write down. He sees these seven stars in the hand of Jesus, and he's so captivated that he just falls on his face. I'm just going to read verses 18 to 20 real quick. Fear not. Jesus says to him, fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. Those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So what does this message mean for us? It means that Jesus always has the church in his hand and he's always interested in the business of the church. Okay, It's kind of like your parents. Your parents, they're your authority. They love you. You live in their house. They're always interested in what's going on in your life because they love you. Okay? That's just what's going on here. The churches are in God's hands, and he's interested in their struggles and their strengths because he cares for them. That's why he holds them in his hand. So next week as we jump into this first church, again, just going off this theme of the number seven that we're going to see so much in Revelation in each of these messages to the church, there's actually seven parts. Uh, so it kind of follows this structure of seven parts in these seven letters. And I'll just run through these real quick for you. We're going to see an identification of Christ, which is always taken from chapter one. We're going to see a commendation to the church. We're going to see a rebuke or a correction about sin. That's in five of the seven of them. We're going to see an exhortation of something that they should do. We'll also see a warning or a judgment, which is in, again, five of the seven. We also see an ending statement, which is usually he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to all the churches. And finally, there's a promise for all who overcome. So we'll start into that next week when we look at the church at Ephesus. I don't want to paint this like wonderful picture that Jesus is going to say all these nice things to these churches. He is going to say some things. But then he's going to say some things like, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you don't taste very good. You're not very good. You don't taste like you're living for me. So there's going to be some very harsh things, things that we need to wrestle with. And we need to be prepared for Jesus to speak to us in these ways, even if they're things that we don't want to hear. And most importantly, we need to focus on God and what he's doing in his church and in the world, especially during a time like this, because honestly, this doesn't feel like church. This doesn't feel like youth group. We don't really know what he's doing, but we can still worship him accordingly as he's called us to do. I hope some of that's been helpful as a way to understand Revelation. That's kind of all we're going to touch on tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll split into small groups and 
work through this first chapter real quick. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these students, Lord. I do pray for their hearts as we just sit here on a screen and it just doesn't feel like we're a community, but we are, Lord, because we're one with you. And even though we're not together, we're still a church and we're still a community of believers seeking to honor you. And I pray for each one of these young men and women that you would encourage their hearts in this time. Lord, and we do long for the time that is hopefully coming up soon uh, with the reopening of some things coming even this Friday. You would just bless us as we seek to be safe, but also to enjoy personal connection with people and being face-to-face with people. Even if we still have to social distance, Lord, it's still going to be great to see friends or family, our church families face-to-face. I just ask that you would bless us as we seek to honor you and to be safe in the midst of that. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an eye out for more audio upcoming from WYM.